You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Godzilla vs. Kong. This is our only chance. We have to take it. We need Kong. The world needs him. To stop what's coming. This child, she's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. And I think that in some way, Kong did the same. everybody you were just listening to the trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong and the story is as follows. Fearsome monsters Godzilla and King Kong square off in an epic battle for the ages while humanity looks to wipe out both of the creatures and take back the planet once and for all. The film is starring Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall, Brian Tyree Henry, Isaac Gonzalez, Julian Dennison, Kyle Chandler, and Damian Bashir. It is directed by Adam Wingard and it is written by Eric Pearson and Max Borenstein. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Daniel Howitt. Hello. And also from Film Inquiry, That Shelf, and the podcast Busting the Block as a guest here today, welcome back to the show, Kevin Lee. Hi. Hi, guys. Nice to have you here, Kevin. It's been a minute. I am so happy. Yeah, no, you uh, caught me. <laughs> you caught me in the right mood with this one, where we weren't planning on having a guest. It was going to just be me, Josh, and Daniel. And I get a text message from Kevin saying, "Oh, I really wanted to be on for Godzilla versus Kong." And I was like, "Well, why can't you be? Are you free tomorrow at 11 a.m., sir?" <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> so I'm glad that you, uh, you know, reached out and you asked to be on, and you know, we were able to accommodate. Um, I think that. You know, obviously, if you wanted to be on, I, I'm hoping you have a lot to say about this movie um, because oh, I feel yes. like, you know, from a subtextual standpoint or from a deep commentary standpoint, 
you know, let's not forget the real reason why we are here. <laughs> it's not for the plot. It ain't for the commentary. People don't really necessarily, I think, want to hear us go deep into this movie. They just want to know, did we like Godzilla versus Kong, Dawn of Justice? I mean, did we just like Godzilla versus <laughs> Kong? And so let's talk about it. Let's talk about what the film did right. Let's talk about the setup to this and this monster titan universe, whatever you want to call it. Why don't we toss it over first to Kevin Lee. Kevin, our guest, what did you think of Godzilla vs. Kong? Guys, I mean, it was everything I ever wanted from this rematch, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's basically like what we were promised, right? When they first start off with the Godzilla film and then Kong Skull Island, it's like, okay, we know we're heading to this point at some some point. Yes, um, yeah, this has been this has been a rematch that fans have been waiting for so long. I mean, the the last time they've ever been on screen together, which is the only time they've ever been on screen together, was um, 1962. It was called King Kong versus Godzilla. And like it only if you're a fan of rubber suits duking at each other, will you enjoy that one, which is, you know, there's a charm to it. There's a low budget charm to it. But admittedly. They're rubber suits. It, it, it's not really like a fight. They're more like awkwardly hugging each other at times. It's like a uh, also too like it's called King Kong versus Godzilla. Now we're getting Godzilla versus Kong, and it's like reverse billing. There, did they analyze which one of the two had better box office, and they decided that one would get top billing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like to think of it as they flip the name so it's easier to distinguish which one we're talking sure, about. Sure, sure. <laughs> I still get confused, and I, and I have, like, been caught off guard at a few occasions saying Kong versus Godzilla, and then people are like, no, 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 it's Godzilla versus Kong, sir. Yes, and so I I love this movie, um, Godzilla versus Kong. It was the movie I needed at this moment in time. Uh, I, I felt like so much respect was paid to these two monsters. There was... There's so much unsaid between them because, you know, the, the monsters, they don't talk to each other. But I felt like the visual effects work done on both these creatures, so much is communicated between them. So much is shown through how they fight one another. There's actually compelling fight choreography between the two. It's all well thought out. It's well filmed. It takes place during the day most of the time. And when it's at night, it's well lit. The human characters, in my opinion, they're actually quite interesting this time. They're driven by a plot that's actually serving the monsters rather than constantly feeling like tangents. This is actually a well-paced movie, too. It's not it's like shorter than two hours. It flows really well. And boy, the action is just terrific. All right. Strong opening thoughts all around. Kevin, did you see this at home or did you see it on a big screen unfortunately i did not see it on the big screen because I, I i do want to um be safe i'm not vaccinated yet sure, sure so i saw it at home yeah and i'm gonna reiterate the same thing i said on the nobody podcast review last week which is we're not telling you to go to the movie theater to see this by all means please be safe we are not advocating for you to do something that you are uncomfortable doing however if you are comfortable if you are vaccinated and your theaters are taking the right protocols, I think it goes without saying that this movie deserves to be seen on the biggest, loudest screen you could possibly find. Like, this is peak IMAX return to the cinema to get that epic, grand feeling of scope 
that we've been deprived of over the last year. So if you, that opportunity is available to you, by all means, feel free to take it. Daniel, tossing it over to you next, sir. Great segue, because I indeed did see this in the theater. Um, so I, I, I did give this every opportunity I could give it to blow me away. Um, yeah, Matt, I think you set this, this review up well. The movie is called Godzilla vs. Kong. It's about Godzilla fighting King Kong. Does that sound good to you or not? I mean, that that's what you know exactly what you're getting with this movie before you ever see a frame of it. Um, but, but there's good and bad here. Let, let's put it this way. Batman v Superman, if it was just called Batman v Superman and focused only on that, would have been great. They have this thing called Dawn of Justice on the end. And I do <laughs> feel like at times this movie wanted to be called Godzilla vs. Kong Hollow Earth. <laughs> right, right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and, and look, I mean, with the fight scenes, that's, that's what you're here for. I, I think after the gray sludge that made up the fight scenes of the last Godzilla film, King of Monsters, the fight scenes here are, are really pretty solid. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what Kevin said about them. I, I mean, I think the visual effects are really solid. A lot of the movie, not just the fight scenes, but a, a, a lot of the movie is lit up in, in bright neon, you know, which makes for some exciting sequences, some exciting lighting, um, and like I said, I watched this in a theater. And so that so seeing those fight scenes up on the big screen, you know, one of the few films I've seen over the last year in theaters uh, was exciting. There's just not much outside of that to get me excited. I'm sorry. I really, really wanted to like this movie. I just I saw this three days ago and I barely remember anything about this movie at all. I was actually kind of stressed about coming out on this podcast this morning because I was like, wait. What was this movie about? I don't, I barely remembered. Can I be honest with you? This is how dumb I feel. I barely remembered Hollow Earth. I, I just, nothing about this movie stuck inside my brain. It just left the second I left the theater. I remembered, ooh, monkey punches dinosaur. That's what I remembered as I left this movie. And, and that was fine. As I said at the top of the show, we're not here for the plot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I certainly am still not here for the for the plot of this film. It, it, it's fine. It's certainly better than than the last Godzilla movie. Like I said, uh, the plot is fine. It, it kept me engaged. I guess is the best thing I can say about it. I I, I you know I, I watched the whole thing. I didn't fall asleep. I was there for the whole thing. But that's that's about it. It didn't do much for me other than ooh look at the big monsters fighting each other. Um, I really the biggest thing my my biggest miss for this whole film is coming off of Gareth Edwards Godzilla and Kong Skull Island both of those movies have problems but the the thing that those movies really excelled at was was the visual artistry they were really both beautiful movies to look at and there's just none of that here for me it's better oh, looking boo than this man film. boo no, no, I'm sorry. I, I, it just doesn't do it for me. There was nothing unique. This looks like Pacific Rim. This looks like every other blockbuster of its kind. It looks like, you know, Dwayne Johnson's skyscraper. It looks like it, it just looks like all of those movies. They're all. It looks exactly the same. Uh, whereas the previous, uh, the first Godzilla in this uh, new series in Kong Skull Island look really unique and stunning. And so, none of that did it for me. So. I don't know. It was fine. I don't I don't want you to think I hated it or anything. It was just completely forgettable, but it was fine. It was fun, I guess. OK. All right. We have one other person here at Josh Parm. What did you think of Godzilla versus Kong? Well, 
Matt, you know this especially, that when it comes to these kinds of movies that I am usually all in, like I'm usually actually probably more forgiving of them than most others are. They just really hit a sweet spot for me. I love big spectacle, like monster movies like this. It really is something that I usually go for. I still remember our Godzilla King of the Monsters review, and I I remember fighting you on that review because I was very opposed to everything that that movie was doing and you were making excuses left and right and i was like what 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 did this genre do to josh parm when he was a little kid like that he has this much of an attachment to it i mean i i do i liked the last godzilla movie and in fact i liked it more than kong skull island and the first godzilla what is happening wait what is happening i'm sorry i i actually don't even really like the first godzilla movie i think it's not very good i I want to make this very clear too i like the first hour of the Gareth Edwards Godzilla film. The, uh, the the first hour, that has Brian Cranston in it. After that, I lose pretty much all interest. And it's weird because that's when Godzilla actually emerges. So he's supposed to be the focal point of everything. But yeah, I, and everyone keeps telling me, no, you got to go back. You got to give it another shot. Cinematography, Alexandra Desplat's score, like all this stuff. And everybody just throws at me all the time where they're like, you got to give it another chance. Got to give it another chance. And I don't know when that will be. But I will definitely not give King of the Monsters another chance. That movie was trash. Yeah. But the point being is that normally I still do find myself very much invested in these types of movies, even when other people don't. And there is a lot in Godzilla vs. Kong that I did find myself really enjoying. And no surprise it is in the action sequences. I think that the spectacle of this film is very fun, very entertaining, and... Yeah, I think an actual effort is made, at least on the Kong side, to make him seem like an actual character. I feel a little bit less so with Godzilla. I think this movie should actually be like called Kong featuring Godzilla. <laughs> totally. A little bit mm-hmm. lopsided, I think, in, in terms of its attention. But still, when those sequences happen, I'm so on board. They're entertaining, fun, energetic. And yeah, it is the human storylines that are very much the detriment of this film. But I feel like it bothers me a little bit more in this one than it does in some of the other films. And I think the reason for that is because there are just so many of them. And they're kind of spread out amongst different areas of the plot. And I feel like... I can deal with kind of weak characters against the backdrop of the spectacle, but it needs to be really contained for me. And it needs to be a very smallish group of people that we're following. And I feel like there are just way too many human characters in this film. And I think a part of that is like just studio filmmaking and probably contractual obligations that bring other people from different movies into this that really do not do anything to serve the plot, except some really bad comedy that just is really cringe inducing. And I think that ultimately is why I'm not like fully celebratory of this film. I do think it's bogged down in so many characters in a very pedestrian plot and it takes away from the spectacle that I really do enjoy. So I'm a little bit more mixed on it, but it still has a lot of hallmarks that I respond to in the, in these types of films. And for that, I still got some enjoyment out of it, even if it's not like a full-throated recommendation from me. I think that what helped me with this movie more so than anything was managed expectations. I went into this expecting it to be bad, to be honest with all of you. Um, if I were to recap my ratings for the other movies really quick, I would say Godzilla is – I would say Godzilla is like a 4 out of 10 for me. Um, I would then say 
Kong Skull Island was a five. King of the Monsters was, like, I think, a three, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was a three. You gave it Oh, three. wow. You, you very much so remember. Okay. Um, and so now we head into this, and I'm expecting it to be on that same level. And really, like I said before, all I want is I want these action sequences to deliver. Now, there were some surprises that this movie did take from me that I was not expecting. Kevin mentioned earlier that this movie is less than two hours long. And I got to admit, the editing of this film and the pacing of it, it moves like I was very surprised with how quickly the plot was unfolding and how, you know, and how quickly we got to the first action sequence of the film. And in a way, uh, just right when you're starting to get a little uh, bored of the human storylines and everything that all the you know human characters are doing. Then there is a second action sequence and then there is a third and final action sequence towards the end. And then there's like some, you know, crazy visual effects stuff, you know, ships flying around and heaves and I don't know, whatever. And there's just like stuff like that sprinkled throughout to kind of, you know, I guess, distract you from how bad some of these uh, human storylines actually are. Because I'm also in agreement with Daniel where I really don't remember a single thing about any of these characters. I think the thing that stands out to me the most about all these characters is how fucking tired Kyle Chandler looks. <laughs> it's like every time he's on screen, <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, this guy just wants to go to sleep. He's probably been up for 24 hours and he's just like stressed out of his mind. <laughs> I was like, he has nothing to do is yeah. the problem. Like there are so many characters in this film that feels like they do not add anything really substantial mm -hmm. to the plot like he's an example honestly brian tyree henry and millie bobby brown that whole storyline felt i'm actually still kind of confused if i'm being completely yeah. honest with you yes. all because in the very beginning i thought they were setting up brian tyree henry to be the crazy nut job who kind of starts everything and I thought they were building him up to be a, a villain, actually. Like, he had, like, malicious intent for the reasons mm -hmm. that he was doing the things that he was doing. And then you come to find out later that, no, it's all a way to expose this uh, uh, Apex Cybernetics, you know, company and all the shitty, shady things that they are doing and so on and so forth. At least I think that's what it is. Yeah, it was weird. I'm, a, I'm, I'm still very confused by it. I'm totally with you. You know, because then they're talking about, like, oh, Godzilla attacked us unprovoked. And it's like, well, Why? And I, I just like the setup of how the plot kind of like falls into motion. I was at a certain point, I was just like, you know what? I, I don't care. Just deliver on the action sequences. Just when the two monsters just fight, just make it well choreographed, make the action big, have some, you know, really cool moments that I haven't seen before. And I'll be I'll be OK. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when they introduced Apex as an as another uh, company entity thing in this universe, and with uh, Brian Tyree Henry's character saying like they, they've they've got some shady stuff going on, and then Godzilla attacks one of their uh, like production centers in the beginning. Yeah, it's been three years since the last time that Godzilla has emerged. Apparently. Yeah, yeah, and then and there's this whole idea of. Oh, I th oh, I thought Godzilla was our savior, and now like we we just lost him. Like we lost our best chance at protecting this this planet, I guess. And so the humans are like, we got to do something about it. And I don't know if you, I feel like if if you've seen uh, 
like the Heisei era Godzilla movies, you, you can kind of guess where Apex is going with this. You can kind of, and if you remember the end credit scene for King of the Monsters, you can kind of guess where this is going. Yeah, no, completely. I understand. I just think how we get there is flimsy as hell. <laughs> like, I don't think I don't think it's good storytelling. The, the only thing that is good storytelling, and somebody else brought this up before, is the connection that Kong has to Gia, this deaf girl who is um, adopted by Rebecca Hall's character, Dr. Eileen Andrews. And they're doing like sign language with each other and they're giving Kong an actual personality to the point where I agree with whoever said this is a King Kong movie, like with Godzilla mm -hmm. featured. In fact, Godzilla is pretty much the antagonist of this movie with real no clear motivation. He is just kind of like a wild dog that is um, being unleashed uh, with no, you know, idea of what it is that's actually driving him to, you know, wreak havoc on everybody. You know, I love I love how these two monsters face one another over misunderstandings like that's that is. That's the best you can do for. <laughs> yeah, but and but the thing about like Kong though is that like he has motivation for why he's fighting, and I think that that's like the emotional investment piece that got me much more into the fights than simply oh cool two giant monsters fighting. No, Kong has a reason for why he is fighting. Oh, absolutely, but so so does Godzilla for attacking Apex headquarters. Does he? You know it's. It's just that it's just that nobody nobody understands, and then Kong's in the way, and Godzilla's like, "God damn it, can you get out of the way?" But why? Wait, wait, you got to you got to help me here. Why is he attacking Apex again? Oh, I mean, Godzilla. Uh, we're, we're talking spoilers, right? Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, listen, people don't have to go to the movie theaters; they can watch this <laughs> shit on HBO Max. Come on, like let's 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 just talk about it's it. It's been out since Wednesday, so yeah. like you've had yeah. plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, Godzilla is clearly threatened that Ghidorah's presence is still there. I did not get that at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what it is. It's like, I mean, they, they, the human characters all, all keep saying like there's something provoking him that we're not seeing. And yeah, it's because Apex has been harvesting off of Ghidorah's skull and keeping its consciousness and building Mechagodzilla out of it. Which, you know, introduces then this theme of this movie, which is <clears throat> not so much even meddling with nature and nature pushing back on humanity. Now we're introducing an element of human nature and AI. Ooh. <laughs> and now when we mess with AI, AI will rise up. It's actually the same exact plot as uh, as two of the Heisei-era Godzilla movies. 1992, no, 1991, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. And then right after that one is Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. And the premise of that one was humanity builds Mechagodzilla out of King Ghidorah's remains. And, you know, the ultimate takeaway is very simple. Humans can't control nature and we can't control AI. Humans can't control shit. <laughs> That's pretty much the gist of yeah, everything, right. <laughs> you know? Yep. But I I have to admit, Mechagodzilla was a complete surprise to me. I don't know if it's because they hid it from the trailers or I, maybe I just wasn't looking hard enough for it. I had no idea that that was going to be an element in this movie. And I was pretty, pretty pleased with how all of that came off. The, as soon as they as soon as Brian Tyree Henry saw that that thing in the explosion and he described it as an eye. That's when I was like, oh, okay, Mecha Godzilla, got it, got it. And which is which is the only purpose that Brian Tyree Henry serves in this movie is not to actually do anything, just to be somebody that the audience can follow to see Mecha Godzilla before 
he comes out into the world. That's the only he serves no other purpose in this movie other than we go, oh, look, Mecha Godzilla. Well, and also, um, you know, that very important bottle of whiskey that you assumed was going to have some kind of really big payoff. I thought um, so, too. was very lazily executed. (laughs) Not to mention, and listen, Brian Tyree Henry, we all know, is a great actor. I don't know why he had to do the eccentric ticks, you know, of this character. I don't know why he had to play it that way. Because there was nothing else in the storyline. There was nothing there. In which case, I think that a, I think he was miscast, and B, I think he needs a new agent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he looked like he was having fun. No, I, yeah, he probably he's, tra- he's probably trying to take chicken well. shit and turn it into chicken salad. Is what he's trying to do. You know, <laughs> I do not blame him necessarily. Yeah. I just think that there is nothing to that character, nothing to that character, and nothing to that storyline either. And honestly, like him and Millie Bobby Brown. Like both of them contribute nothing to this, and they get saddled with the worst, the worst jokes. Like mm-hmm. humor in these types of movies are always never that great because it's like six writers trying to come up with one joke to land it usually, and it's just atrociously bad in those sequences. Oh, you know what? They give uh, most of the funny lines over to Julian Dennison, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People Kid, and. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Still doesn't work. Very sorry, well. you know I love him. It still doesn't work very Again, well. Again, it' not his fault. Yeah, it's yeah. just really, really bad material. Yep. And then you have the other storyline with Rebecca Hall, Alexander Skarsgård, Isa Gonzalez. Like, and these characters are just completely wooden to me. Yeah. And have once again, they're not doing material that is bad as Millie Bobby Brown, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Julian Dennison are, they're doing material that has no substance. And I'm just like not emotionally tied and I'm just bored watching anything that they're doing. The saving grace as far as human characters go is the character of Gia, the, the, yes. the, the mm-hmm. deaf little yes. girl like that. I, I thought that was pretty solid. Uh, also, it, it introduced some great sound dynamics into the movie yeah. as well. And mm-hmm. that was always, um, you know, interesting to listen with how they were playing around with the levels, you know, because they're trying to uh, give us her perspective of how she hears these giant creatures, which I, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And I think I think somebody else already said this. I don't know who uh, I think it did help to flesh out the character of Kong. A tiny bit more. I don't want to oversell that, but a tiny bit more with the whole sign language thing. I thought that was a a, a really interesting moment. Uh, so, yeah, I, that was the only thing as far as the human characters go that I actually like retained after I left the theater. Not to mention Kong is in the rain. He's covering his head, you know, with his hands because he's getting rained on. He's all chained up. He has to fight Godzilla. He's underwater and shit. Kong has had a shitty 24 hours. Yeah. You know, I mean, like he is being put through the ringer here, people. So you're definitely going to feel some level of sympathy for this guy. And, you know, I think it also helps, too, that that kind of a creature, um, a, a monkey, you know, can have human like qualities, which also helps a lot in terms of us getting invested in the character overall without making him uh goofy or have him talk or something like that they give him a guy I, I gotta say this man kong must squat because his ass <laughs> mm, damn <laughs> my god 
<laughs> I don't know where that came from, but they they threw it on him, and I was like, what the hell? Yeah, he's waking up in the opening scene. He's stretching, scratching his butt, taking a shower. I'm like, I love this Kong. This Kong is just like, let me sleep in my jungle and be in peace, you know? And let me do my squats. Where's the rack? <laughs> yeah, they gave him so much personality in this, which was actually one of my personal nitpicks with Kong Skull Island. I felt like like he i mean he he's pretty badass in that but i felt like there was a lot of personality uh missing out of him in that one and yeah this restored that for me completely i mean when gia at the end uh using sign language telling him to be careful i got really emotional yeah i mean for me uh i don't i don't know if this is what happens or not but when kong has a heart attack or heart failure or whatever the hell happens to him towards the end of this movie i was feeling that you know I was really feeling that moment, you know, with Kong on the ground and stuff. And, yeah, he's getting his chest, you know, completely crushed. You know, he, he does leg day. I don't know if he does chest day, you know, but he's getting his ass whooped. And I, I, I was really I was really into it. I have to say where this movie delivered was where it delivered uh, is where it mattered most. Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I really do feel like if this movie was focused mostly on the journey of Kong and with especially those human characters and we kind of kept it confined mostly to that space I think I would have had less issues with the storylines in this film I, I think that like I'm a, like I said before if you have kind of weak human characters in these movies I think it is slightly forgivable because that's not our main focal point but you need to really concentrate all of those bad characters that you're not going to put that much attention into. And I think where this movie suffers is when we get away from that group and it starts to become a little bit more widening of its scope in terms of the story it wants to tell. And that's when we're introduced to all these other people who aren't really serving the plot in any meaningful way. And when they're not interesting characters either, that's when it just takes so much of the momentum out of the story. And I think that when we're focused on Kong, yeah, we're still we're still having not great characters, but at least it's more relegated to what the plot is doing and more so to the emotional investment, at least of Kong, so that I think that would have been a much stronger way to tell this story for me. Yeah, I completely understand. And I think we all feel uh, very similar in that regard here. I don't think anyone here is going to sit and defend uh, the human storyline in this, but... We also have to be, I think, a tad bit forgiving of the fact that this movie is under two hours long. Thank you very, very much. And the action is well spread out enough. It's not like it's um, all thrown in in the second half of the movie and we have to wait to get there. So I also appreciate that element as well. Um, in terms of those three major action sequences, the magic hour fight amongst the ships, uh, Kong and Hong Kong, as I'm calling it, because I just love saying that. And then uh, the Mecha Godzilla fight uh, at the very, very end. What, what did you guys think of these three sequences? History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? 
And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Well, I, I liked the Hong Kong one pro- probably the best. Obviously, the third one was bigger, but uh, I loved the neon uh, kind of setting as they were destroying the buildings. That was the most interesting looking of the three fights. So uh, I, the ship one was kind of dumb to me. I was like, they're like leapfrogging on these ships and they're just kind of sitting there. You expecting me to Kong leaping across the water and landing on an aircraft carrier. It doesn't just destroy the whole thing. I just like kept thinking to myself, like how strong are these yeah. aircraft carriers that they can hold that? They, 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 they get kind of slightly pushed into a building and the whole building comes down, but he leaps onto an aircraft carrier and it's just like, oh yeah, this is no big deal. Also to that Hong Kong sequence, I got to just point this out because, and, and you know, Josh, Kevin, maybe you guys can tell me that this is just a hallmark of this whole franchise, but there's got to be like hundreds of thousands of people dead, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm, at least they gave the obligatory evacuation shots where there were like bunkers that people could hide in that looked really similar to the bunkers in Pacific Rim. And so that at least there's a, really there's a little Rim, bit of saying. world building. I understand that. But at the same time, I just I just thought to myself while watching it, I was like, there's got to be people still left behind. <laughs> I was oh, like, yeah, there's no totally. way this is a completely abandoned city. To- totally. The one thing I really appreciate for these fights is I appreciate how location actually affects the way these monsters fight. Yes. I really appreciate the the, the first fight um, on the ships because it was so clear that Kong has the disadvantage there. You know, it's it's like it's mm-hmm. like totally it's like Godzilla saying like home turf battle, baby. Like this is my my domain. Yep. <laughs> also, too, it presents for a unique dynamic with the water you know it's not something that we're used to seeing what we're used to seeing is more of that traditional hong kong two giant monsters battling it out amongst these skyscraper buildings having this kind of a fight was something more visually interesting that i felt like we hadn't really seen before yeah uh, absolutely and and for the hong kong fight like it's just i think there's so much thought that was put into what moves these monsters will actually go for. And they make so much sense to me. Like when you you look at Kong, he tends to go for Godzilla's mouth. 
And whenever he tries to get his jaw or something, Godzilla would then use his atomic breath and burn his hands. And it just makes so much sense for them to do that. And yeah. In, and you can see all of it. It's coherently shot and filmed. And I know it's visual effects, but what, whatever. There's so much thought put into it. And you can tell that. And there's even the whole thing where Kong clearly doesn't. He, he has a disadvantage again the minute Godzilla gets his atomic breath out because he gets out zoned, basically. And it's like completely understandable that that's how this fight would actually go down if these monsters actually existed. Meanwhile, there's just. When they land hits to one another, the sound effects is incredible. There's so much bass in all the punches and kicks. You feel it. There's a great balance of these monsters moving way faster than before in the franchise, yet they still feel enormous and heavy. And I just completely appreciate Adam Wingard for just putting putting the effort in, you know? And, and that was the kind of effort that I'm sorry, I didn't really get that in uh, King of the Monsters. I could feel the respect to the source material in King of the Monsters because I did think the monster designs for Mothra, King Ghidorah, Rodan, they looked great and they sounded great. I mean, their roars were are like perfect modernizations of how they have sounded in, in the Showa era of Godzilla movies. But the action in King of the Monsters, you can barely see. Like It takes place at night in the pouring rain and screw you we're gonna put a lightning storm everywhere where wherever king Ghidorah goes we're gonna put a lightning storm in there so you're gonna squint because it's dark and muddy and then you're gonna get blinded by those lightning flashes it's like it's so bad and none of that happens here thank god another thing i also really appreciated was uh kong's athleticism but yet it's clear that godzilla is the stronger of the two uh, so that I thought made things um, also very interesting when they were fighting one another. Um, was Godzilla always this fat? <laughs> He's got some meat in those thighs. I, 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 I like noticed it in this movie more so, I think, than any of the others where I'm like, man, Godzilla is like packing on some some LBs, you know? Matt was just <laughs> objectifying these monsters this whole time. I know. <laughs> I mean, he went through quarantine also. <laughs> no, because I, I was thinking about it because I'm saying to myself, like, man, Kong is leaping around and, like, just being very acrobatic and stuff. And there's Godzilla just, like, you know, lumbering around. <laughs> so yeah. My two chunky, thick boys out there. <laughs> I also want to uh, give a shout out to one of the best moments in the original King Kong versus Godzilla that they actually did a callback here which is in the original, there is an iconic moment where Kong shoves a tree down Godzilla's throat. And here they, they do something similar. Godzilla's about to use the atomic breath. Kong's like, nah, I got an ax. I'm gonna <laughs> take the handle and just stuff it in your mouth for there for a second. Here, take this. <laughs> I loved that axe so much. I, I'm watching this movie with my roommate and we're having like a blast just adding like commentary to it while we're watching it. And like Kong gets the axe and I was just like, <laughs> I was like doing Gimli. I'm like, and my axe. <laughs> like, and some of the stuff that he did with that was uh, in that moment being one of them. I, I agree with you. That was like one of those moments for me where I just let out a fist pump. It was like, whoa, like that was awesome. Also too, like, when he headbutts Godzilla underwater, mm. oh, oh, just priceless, I incredible. Like some of the some of the stuff in this, in terms of just the fight choreography of how you would have these two uh, interact with one another, like you said, Kevin, in a realistic manner, 
it came off so well. And of course, the visual effects being just really, really great and the sound work and yeah, to a lesser extent. But I guess it helps. Listen, Tom Holkenberg, uh, the composer for this movie, he has a tendency to create epic scores that sound big, but they're very unmemorable. Oh. Yeah. You guys, you guys like get that usually like other than Mad Max Fury Road. What what has he like done that was like memorable? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember hearing people saying that they really liked the score to this film and I cannot recall any note. It sounds very generic to me, like it fits the movie, but there is I did not find much memorable to the music of this film. Yeah, there was a moment when um, when Kong finally gets back on his feet and um, oh god, another badass moment when Kong just just punt like pushes his shoulder back in and he's back in the fight. It's just oh, I mean, my, I think you. my favorite moment was uh, I think my favorite moment is when he's lost and Godzilla is about to like throw the final kill at him, and then he just lets out like a defiant roar in his face, and it's like even even in the face of defeat, God. And I was like, that's gonna be it. That's gonna be the moment where Godzilla like nods to him, and just goes respect he does <laughs> and it was i was like that is fantastic that's exactly what he does and <laughs> again like the visual effects to for for these two like godzilla and and king kong have never have like they have not looked this good in so long and yeah i i actually really appreciated the amount of close-ups they gave godzilla um, where I could really see his expressions. And uh, again, like I could really get a sense of what he's thinking. And <laughs> he's like, he's like, God damn it, Kong, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stop Ghidorah from coming back to life. Can you get out of the way? Oh, you, oh, you can land a hit. All right, fine. I got to take care of you first. And, and at the end, and he steps on him at the end. He's like, all right, you, you put up a good fight. Now, now I, I got stuff to do. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> he walks off. Anyway, regarding the music, there was a bit at the end when Kong saves Godzilla at the last minute from Mechagodzilla, and there's like this triumphant score, and it felt, it sounded really Man of Steel. I did not get that vibe at all. <laughs> but hey, if you did, good for you, I suppose. Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm with you guys that the score overall is not that memorable. Like, uh, I... As long as all I all I wanted out of Tom Hulkenberg was percussion to hype me up. Well, you got that and a lot of horns. And, so. Yeah, and I got a lot of that, which which I was hyped by his score already from the from the opening credits of this movie, which, by the way, the opening credits is straight up like a March Madness bracket, which. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yes. Give me all of it. Inject it love into it. my veins. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I always love that the uh, opening credits for these movies are always uh, visually interesting every single time, even if it's a little redundant sometimes. Um, you know, I still love that there's like a tremendous amount of effort that's put into them. Uh, passing it over to final thoughts here. Howitt, what do you have for me? Uh, boy, not much. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just couldn't get that excited about this movie overall I, I i it's really not bad it's not it's fun there's there's some good fight scenes um but honestly i'm gonna barely remember that this movie even came out by the end of the year i'm it's got good visual effects um you know i could see those maybe contending next year uh but man i just i just there's nothing nothing about this movie that sticks with me at all uh even though it's fine bummer josh parm what about you the only thing that I want to mention is I just want to 
uh, go back to that very first fight between Godzilla and Kong and just dig up for it just a little bit more. Um, I think the reason why that one I really do like is because it oddly feels like more intimate than the other ones. And it feels like because Kong is at such a disadvantage, like there's sort of this investment in terms of like, how is he going to get out of this? And then as you mentioned, Matt, there's kind of a little bit more inventive execution because it's in this unusual circumstance. And like, does it get silly and illogical at a certain point? Yeah. I I admit like, yeah, him. Oh, I mean like how about Rebecca Hall and uh, the Gia character locking themselves in that room? (laughs) I was like, yo, you realize that that's going to flood like any second. And sure enough, it started flooding and they're trapped in there. I was like, called it. (laughs) Yeah, like there's dumb things that happen. Don't get me wrong. But I do, what I did find myself appreciating was that at least the fight between the two monsters in that scene felt like it had a little bit more care. It wasn't just them bumping into buildings. Even though the Hong Kong section is still very fun and entertaining, I did appreciate them trying to kind of execute this sequence in a little bit more of a creative way that actually felt like they were bringing some emotional stakes. Not a lot, but some. And I thought that was very interesting. I did appreciate that. Yeah, I feel that. Kevin, final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, listen. The 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 uh, the human plot is not the best, but I really appreciate how ev- almost everything that the humans do in this movie is actually involves the monsters and even though even when the monsters are not fighting the the story is still about them it's not really it's not humans dealing with human level stuff nearly as much this time and so i i was able to roll with it i like to give a shout out to the hollow earth sequence which is just it looks visually great i i i i'm really thankful that they embraced the weird bonkers part of it which is actually like if you grade it on a curve from the rest of the Godzilla movies, this is not the weirdest that you've seen. Like Godzilla is a franchise where we've had the military invent black hole generators to try to suck Godzilla into space and ends up creating a giant mutated bug creature. If you don't believe me, look up Godzilla versus Megagyrus. Um, I, like I said, I think Godzilla and Kong have never looked this good in a really, really long time. I felt like there's so much personality and thought given to them. And the action sequences are great. The visual effects are great. If you're a Godzilla fan, he, he is terrific. If you're a Kong fan, the story is mainly around him. And a lot of the emotional core comes from him. And because of the whole Mecha Godzilla finale... Both sides, whether you're Team Godzilla or Team Kong, you're going to walk away from this happy that your monster got time to shine. And I felt like this movie is like a big step forward for both of the monsters. I can't wait to see them again, whether it's from Legendary in the MonsterVerse or just some other iteration, like whatever. There's a reason why these two monsters are the most iconic monsters in all of cinema, you know? As for this movie itself, um, it came at the perfect time for me. I need, I needed this, guys. I needed this at this exact moment in quarantine. I needed something big, loud, dumb, and fun, and that's exactly what I got. Yeah, I'm very happy that you got that. Yeah, can't refute it. Uh, you know, uh, for me, final thoughts. Um, Brian Tyree Henry showers in bleach. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
let's just write that. Like, come on, really? That's the best material you guys could come up with. I I, I did write down from uh, Avengers, sun's going down, big fella, because the way that Gia is able to calm Kong down, just like I was like, oh man, this is this is too much. Um, but then the part that really sent me was when he's chained up, he's on the ship, and Gia walks out to him. And I was like, oh, I turned to my roommate. And I was like, how great would it be right now if they have like an E.T. moment and they like touch fingers and then they touch fingers. <laughs> and he said, home. <laughs> I lost my shit. <laughs> I was like, there's no way that I just said, oh, would it be great if they do an E.T. moment? And they did. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible. I, I kept wondering throughout this entire time because uh, Kong in this movie is so much more giant um, and also in Skull Island than he's been in other uh, versions on the screen before. I kept wondering, how did they transport him? And then they have the shot of the planes and the nets. And I was like, OK, fine. <laughs> but, uh, but throughout a majority of this movie, I was like wondering, uh, like, how are they moving this thing? This, this, he's huge. Um, I also love Kong. Just like when he's in Antarctica, he's just like not in his element. It's like, get that, get that monkey a blanket or something. He is freezing. So bad for him. And then when he goes into the hollow earth sequence, I, I swear to God, I don't know if this is all deliberate. I don't know if it's just Adam Wingard just having references to other movies throughout this movie. But like when he opens the doors, I swear to you guys, I got Moria flashbacks from Fellowship of the Ring. I was like, I was like, yo, Kong is definitely Ooh. in the caves of Moria right now. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, man. Oh, Godzilla, not enemy. Roar. <laughs> God. Uh, I got to admit, like, this was silly fun for me. Um, I took the enjoyment where I could find it. And for me, because of my low expectations, it was enough. I am giving this a weak but passable 6 out of 10. I think if you go in with those measured expectations, I think if you watch it with a great sound system or if you are in a theater IMAX setting, I think that at worst you will walk away being middling about it. I don't see how you walk away from it saying that it was a gigantic waste of time if you go in with the right mindset of it all. Uh, Daniel, does that fit your description pretty much? <laughs> you me. Um, uh, yeah, no, I agree. I, I give it a soft five. Uh, it's 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 not like I didn't feel mad that I spent almost two hours watching it. Like it it was it was fine. It's not bad. It's not awful. It's not offensive. Uh, it's just forgettable. Yeah. So yeah, five. Okay, Josh, what about you? I am going to give it a six out of ten. Uh, I did have fun with it. Like you, Matt, I do think that there are impressive sequences in it. I do think it just gets bogged down with so much tiresome plot <laughs> and really badly written characters that if there weren't just as many of them, I might be more forgiving. But as is, it really distracts from the stronger elements to it. So I did have fun with it, but not as much as I could have, especially given how much I tend to like movies in this genre for sure. Mm hmm. Kevin, what about you? Um, I mean, I think this movie is probably an eight for me. But given that 
it served exactly what I wanted at this moment. And I'm still so pumped out of it. It feels like a nine at the moment. Wow. Okay. Go ahead. Great. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I've been in that position, Kevin. I have <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> the King of the Monsters review still exists. It still can be listened to. And I still stand by everything I said. Yes. <laughs> I'm just flabbergasted, Josh, that you love King of Monsters, but well, not Skull well, Island. Love is a strong word. First I of all, said is I love the movie. I enjoyed it. <laughs> and I enjoyed it because it. I like the spectacle. And I think that the story in that movie is actually a bit stronger than the other ones. Just for my opinion. Uh, I think that for me, spectacle uh, ruled the day here. And as a result, this, this was my favorite of the latest Godzilla Kong movies that have come out so far. I mean, granted, there's only been four so far, but uh, this is so far my, my favorite, I would say. Skull, I think Skull Island is underrated and I, I, it's got problems. So it's not, it's not like the best thing ever, but I think the, I think that is a really, really solid movie. I think I, I think I need to give that another another watch. That and the uh, Godzilla, um, I would like to revisit both of them. Godzilla twenty fourteen is is pretty. I think it's got really good cinematography and visuals. The story is, yeah, it's not not awesome, but that's, I think that's like every movie that guy's directed. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> so. Kong Skull Island uh, got a Best Visual Effects nomination when it came out. So Kong is featured here again. The action in this movie is quite impressive at times. The creature design looks incredible. What do you guys think? You guys think that uh, this could contend for visual effects next year? I do. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say like it's a lock for a nomination or anything like that. But yeah, I I. I uh, would not be surprised at all to see it get a final nomination. Uh, I would be probably a little surprised for it to not make the short list. Um, I mean, we, we've got a lot of year left, but... And yeah. it's going to be more competitive than last year, that's for sure. Right, right, right. But yeah, I, I think it could certainly stand a, stand a chance at a nomination for visual effects. I, I think we're looking at a short list, but I don't think... I, I don't know about the nomination itself. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I... I don't think it'll get nominated just because it, it as impressive as the effects are, they are still kind of a bit more of the same in terms of what these movies have already done. And yeah, this year is certainly going to be a lot more competitive for that category because basically all the movies that were going to be competing last year are coming out this year. So the slate is a little bit fuller. I don't deny that it'll probably be in contention. It might make the short list, but I I really don't think it will be nominated, but that's as far as any conversation in terms of the Oscars are going to go with this film anyway. Kevin, you have anything to add? Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably just yeah on the short list, and then it it's like right there on on the edge. It's like sixth place. It probably mm -hmm. won't get it. Probably lose yeah. to um, to whatever Disney brings out, or you know. There's a part of me that would have discussed the possibility of a sound nomination, but now that there's only one category, I don't even feel the need to even mention it. Honestly, I think even if there were still two categories, it wouldn't have gotten nominated. Yeah, fair enough. I agree. Fair enough. And once again, maybe that's because we're just coming off of a year right now where it was just such slim pickings in a lot of ways for these types of movies that seeing this kind of a movie again after a whole year, like... It, there is something novel about it almost in a way, you know, it's like I 
And maybe that's maybe that is also what fueled my enjoyment overall is I missed this, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I didn't miss the bad parts about it, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, where 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 it delivered, I, I missed that adrenaline rush that a movie like this can provide to you, especially if you're watching it with a packed, uh, rowdy audience of fans. You guys have no idea how happy I am that it is this movie that's doing the work right now. Yeah. <laughs> that it is the two most iconic monsters in in all of cinema saving cinema. You mean Damien Bashir and Kyle Chandler? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just say uh, give give Kyle Chandler an Oscar vehicle already? I he I'm tired of seeing him pop up in random blockbusters. Like, yeah, me too. There's something else to do. I don't know. It's interesting because I I feel like he thrives on television and he is a good character actor but i agree i don't like seeing him in these big blockbuster films but i like seeing him in stuff like manchester by the sea carol first man where he's not the lead you know but he's like a sporting player and knows you, you want to see him as like a lead well i don't know i i he seems like the type of guy who could thrive in a like a supporting actor kind of role and and make his way to a nomination at some point. I agree. I don't, I probably not a lead. I I'm, I'm not sure I could see that, but I mean, he did great stuff in like Manchester by the sea. Uh, it was a tiny role, but it was pretty solid. So yeah, I, I, I just want more. I just want more for Kyle Chandler. I want more. Yeah. More than just the level of exhaustion that's on his face throughout every <laughs> frame of this film. That poor guy, he just needs to go to sleep. He needs to go to sleep and he needs his daughter to stop nagging him. <laughs> And giving him anxiety. You have any idea how stressed that man is, probably? Man, he's got to deal with a crisis that's going to bring about the end of the earth while his daughter is off with, you know, Brian Tyree Henry doing God knows what and like, whatever. <laughs> you know, just a lot on that man's mind. Mm. All right. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us here today on the podcast. Where can they find you on the Internet? Uh you can find me on filminquiry.com, thatshelf.com, and on Twitter at KLEE underscore film review. You can also find me on Busting the Block podcast where my co-host Ryan McQuaid and I talk about the biggest, most expensive blockbusters, and we decide whether or not they should have been made. I really, really like this podcast a lot. There's a lot of good content in there for sure. I've guested on a show as well, and I highly urge people to check it out. All right, Daniel Howitt, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at HowittDK. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Godzilla vs. Kong here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to the podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And if you want to rate us five stars, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a comment, write us a review. Anything less than five stars is unacceptable as far as I'm concerned. And if you want to take that a step further, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. But seriously, how many reps do you think Kong does in the gym? <laughs> A lot of jungle out there to, to work out in. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. 
Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.